This episode of Butcher's Breakaway is brought to you by you. You, yes, that's you. You out there. Yes, you. Are you pointing to yourself? Yes, yes, you. Thank you so much for supporting us over the years. Couldn't appreciate you more. It means the world to Gregory and I. Got a good show today talking about Craft Stop, talking about new assistant coach, talking about five-star questions, talking to uh, Josh from Evolving Wild, one half of Evolving Wild. And then, of course, we're going to come back and talk baseball because that's what we do on this podcast. So stay tuned. Uh, we say the baseball till the end. Mark Messier is coming up right now. Here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Welcome to the Big Bush Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead of The Athletic, and I'm here with my co-host, Gregory, also of TheAthletic.com. Gregory, say hello. Yes, we're recording no, this podcast a lot of more. I just want... Yes. I just, yeah. Get it out of the way. The, no, actually, I'm going to save I'm gonna save what Ryan did at the end of the pod for a little later, and I'll spring it on him then. Okay. I promised some people that I would open this podcast with a gambling story, and I think it's... I need to open this podcast with a gambling story, Ryan. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you a four-minute limit. What do you think? Ooh, four-minute limit. Can wow. you do it? Over, under. Yeah, I think that'll be fine. Okay. It's not It's. It's not that great of a story. It's just a sign of the times. Let's call it that. I, I think I, I've heard it, and I think you can sum it up pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, basically, all, all everyone needs to understand is I reached a point of isolation where the casino by me is still closed, and the state of New York still doesn't have a mobile gambling, gambling app. Seems silly. So, Seems dumb. Seems like they're losing money. So what does Greg do? Uh, Greg drove an hour and 40 minutes towards Syracuse, New York, to go to a casino resort called Turning Stone, which is back open. First of all, way too many fucking people at this place. Uh, a, a concerning amount of people. Friend of mine, I understand friend of mine is going to Atlantic masks. City this week. He's like, uh, what? <laughs> there, to be Credit where credit is due. You can't walk into the place without a mask. Mm-hmm. If someone catches you without a mask on in there, you're immediately escorted off the property. Yeah, so, like, they're you. doing everything they can to make sure everyone is following the rules. Still, way too many people. I was uncomfortable the second I walked in there. But I walked in there, Ryan, because I needed to play some sports bets. <laughs> but I went That's in really anyway. what it comes down to. I placed six different sports bets, a couple parlays, a couple straight bets. Again, this was an hour and 40-minute drive one way. Towards Syracuse, New York, from Troy, New York, to place these sports bets. I went 0 for 6. If that's not a sign that I just shouldn't have done it, Wait, I, don't I thought know you were going 0 for 9. I just totally did. Uh, nine total bets. Okay, I thought you went but 0 for 9. Some though. of them are condensed into one bet. I counted today, it was six bets. I had, I had a three team parlay that depended on the San Diego Padres who lost. Tough times. I had, I hate to see it. Anthony, I had Anthony Davis over nine and a half rebounds. He got nine rebounds. I had the Colorado Avalanche money line. They were down 3 nothing and didn't register a shot on goal in the first period. Yeah. Can, against we, the can Stars. we talk about that series real quick? Uh, not that I've watched a lot of it, but I'm shocked that the Stars are doing to the Avalanche what they are doing. It is pretty unbelievable. I didn't think the Stars really had that in them, and I thought the Avalanche were way too talented to to lose to the Stars. And I don't – I'm just – I think the Stars are pretty much – like I know the series is not over and anything can happen – the stars have all the momentum right now, and they're playing their fucking asses off. I'm just, I'm just surprised uh, that it all happened. I know they have the the, the after locker room chain ritual at this point. Seem like they're a really uh, quick and bonded team, and I think they could be a legitimate like threat to win a cup all of a sudden because of the teams left. 
I really think like Tampa Bay has to be the favorite versus versus Las Vegas at this time, but it's hockey, so everything's up in the air. Yeah, I. Uh, it's just it's nuts. It it's nuts. truly nuts. Thank you. Anyway, yes, you I, lost your bets. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was just it was a real kick in the nuts, Ryan. That's that's really what it comes down to. It happens. But you know what I'm going to do next weekend? I'm going to do it again. Yeah, that's okay. Makes sense. All right, let's uh let's get into the Ranger stuff real quick. Not too much this week, here and there, and then we have a good interview with our friend Josh from Evolving Wild. Always awesome. And then at the end, uh, we talk a little bit of baseball. But we we let you we warn you, so you'll know. We say, hey, baseball time. It's about an hour into the podcast, so check that out. All right. Uh, at the end of this podcast, I mispronounced our new assistant coach's name. And his name is, I, I call them Martin Jacques, because I have dyslexia and I read it from Paige, and his name is Jacques Martin. Anyway. Uh, yeah, you're tough luck, but very on brand. Uh, incredibly. I couldn't be more on brand for Blue Shirts Breakaway than me doing that. Now, uh, I had this weird premonition this morning. We've talked okay. about on the, po- I- the podcast, Mondays are always the time they announce things. Now, Elliot Freeman reported last night that you know, he was the favorite to be the assistant coach. So I'm not really r- reporting on anything, but I was taking a run this morning, as you do when you're training for a half marathon and you want to kill yourself. Um, maybe I shouldn't say it, but that way, when you, when you want to put yourself out of your misery, that's probably a nicer way to say it. Um, and I was like, I think something's going to happen with the Rangers today. So I just tweeted it out. And then all of a sudden, it just, all of a sudden, Jock Martin is our now assistant coach. We're going to be breaking it down later this week on the BSBOT. Our good friend, uh, not good friend, but our coworker, rather, Jesse Marshall, is going to be joining us to <laughs> what? Uh, just funny. Our good friend actually is not our good friend. We don't know him. We don't know him. He's not a recurring guest. So. Uh, it just, it just, just the, it's, it's the way it was presented. <laughs> like, you could have just called him a good friend of the podcast, and everyone would have been like, oh, they must have a relationship. We could have just lied to people. Oh, when do we but lie? Your need, your when need to be honest is sickening. When do we lie to your people? Your need to be honest is sickening. I am always honest. First, you come out pro post office, which makes no sense. <laughs> I've never understood that about you. I got a letter now from a you friend think, that was Now you think the Rangers August signed a guy named you, – you think the Rangers are trusting their defense to a guy named Martin Jacks, and it's just now now we have friends that aren't our friends, but they're still our Listen, friends because we work Ma- with them. Marty Jocks wraps from the Penguins himself, world champion. He's coming over to shore up this defense. He's got a lot of nothing to work with. I wonder how him and Mark Stahl are going to get along. Probably great, you know? They're two. They're about the same age, sixty-seven. And they're gonna. There's a lot. There's a lot of uh, of good chemistry to go around there. So I'm excited to see what he could do because, as you could tell from looking at Twitter today, the the joke was got to be like, well, he has a lot of nothing to work with. He's worked with nothing before, so get ready for it. Um, I at least he has Adam Fox this time, right? At least he has that Jacob Truba. He's gonna have some. He's gonna have a lot on his hands. But we'll yeah, we're it, breaking it down later this week. Yeah, I will, I will say this. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know a lot about uh, One, two cups. Jacques Martin. Jacques. Uh, he, he's he's got two cups. He's got two cups. The Penguins have always punched above their weight defensively, I think is the, the safe way to say it. Not only defensively, and, they just call guys up and they just play well, always. It's kind of always yeah, been their, I just, their thing. Smart people who know more than us, Ryan, collectively on Twitter – when it was reported in Elliot Friedman's 31 thoughts that the Rangers had interest in Martin, that it would, it would be a good move and that historically Martin has been able to use the sum of his parts better than you would think, uh, given the, what's the word I'm looking for here. I'm really struggling today. Given what was at his disposal. He he's a sum of all. He, he seems like a guy that is, willing to adjust his schemes to fit 
the characteristics of the players he has. And if you're the New York Rangers, that's what you need to be in the business for right now. Because again, I don't know how many times we've said it on this podcast. Yes, Mark Stahl is not going to be here forever, but Fox, outside of Fox Truba <laughs> and maybe Lindgren, they've been, they've been hurting. And it, again, we've put emphasis def- on the defensive players, but this also goes to the forwards the Rangers have. It's not exactly like the Rangers have a defensively diverse group of forwards at their expense right now, especially if they lose Jesper Foss to free agency. Which so is getting, looking likely, but nothing really reported. Yet, well, so we, we'll don't, we don't really know. Yeah. We'll if there's ever a time for Foss to come back under market value, it's now because of the flat cap. And Jesper Foss is the type of player that'll get squeezed. No team's going to want to spend on Jesper Foss. He's, he's, he's the guy other teams might not value appropriately, and the New York Rangers might be able to squeeze him back in. But either way, it, it's, it's, it's the entire scheme that Jacques Martin will bring to the New York Rangers that they desperately need. It's a different voice. It's different eyes. It's a guy with good track record. It's a coach that desperately seemingly needs to lean on an assistant coach for that part of what he does. So it's hard to imagine the Rangers could have done better. We're going to learn more about him as the week goes along here. Obviously just because it's a good hiring in theory won't mean it's a good hiring in practice. He's going to have to do it for us to say one way or the other. It's just from where we sit today, it's awfully hard to think the New York Rangers could have done better from an assistant coach standpoint. No, and that just kind of falls into your lap, right? Because if the Penguins win that series, does is he available? Probably not. He probably stays on. I mean, they shook up everything in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization a couple weeks ago. Right, and and you know what, Ryan? Credit where credit is due. This goes back to something we've talked about before on this podcast and something we talked about with our friend, our actual friend, Arvin, last week. Actual friend. The Rangers need to be the organization that's smart enough to take advantage of other teams' overreactions. And whether the Penguins felt they needed a different voice in the room or whether it was a misguided firing, they got rid of their assistant coaches. And one of them is someone like Jacques Martin, who you Marty can Jacques swoop yes. up. Yeah, yeah, Marty Jacques. <laughs> you can come in, swoop in, take them, and make your team better. Not, not always is your ability to take advantage of an organization going to be player for player. This is the Rangers taking advantage of an organization that may have overreacted to what their team did in a play-in series that happened 143 days after the regular season paused. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, thank you Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, that's all I can do is thank you, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh seems to be having a really rough offseason, but they won cups, uh, like a bunch of them, so I don't care. Well, uh, the funny thing is, like, it's it, in in theory, and I guess we should talk about the Casper Kapanen trade because now that we're thinking about it, it happened after our podcast it stopped did. recording last week. Yes. It's it's not that Kapanen's a bad player, right? It's not, it's at not all. that the Penguins it's not that the Penguins acquired a bad player. I think you and I both think he's gonna be quite good in Pittsburgh. If Kes- and it's if, no- if we could get a guy Kapanen for Georgiev, we would have been over the moon. Yeah, it's 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 not that Kapanen's a bad player. It just feels like the Penguins played paid twice as much as they should have to get him. That so like it those kind of trades are, are hard to digest because it's almost uh, I don't know if I want to make this comparison, but since we're a Rangers podcast, I'll make this comparison. It's almost kind of like the Mart- Martin St. Louis trade mm-hmm. where the Rangers, in my mind, clearly gave up too much for St. Louis, who wasn't going to go to another organization. So the Rangers didn't have to give up what they gave up to get him. doesn't mean I dislike the Martin St. Louis era with the New York Rangers. I was quite 
entertained by it. I liked St. Louis as a player. I think he did a lot of good things for the Rangers in his two years that he was here. It's just that the Rangers shouldn't have had to give up two first round picks and Ryan Callahan for him. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's not that I think the Penguins got a bad guy. It's just that you look at the Penguins and they did the Leafs such a big favor by eating the money, by giving up a first round pick and by giving up a top prospect. Maybe the Penguins should have done two of those three things. I think even then that would have been an overpay. They should have definitely done one of those three things. Like if the deal was happening for the first round pick, I'm sure people would be like, that seems like a steep price, but I don't think people would laugh at it. People laughed at this trade because the Penguins were taken advantage of. They still got a good player though. Like for the next season, the Pittsburgh Penguins are probably a better team by having Kapanen than by having the draft pick. Absolutely. The There's no arguing that whatsoever, but the value of that draft pick is so high. And to give it right, over to, right over to the Maple Leafs and get them out of trouble, then they can use right. that pick to swap whatever they want and get whatever they right. want at this point. It's it's a great deal for them. Absolutely. It's the Penguins are better. The group that they have is better because they have Casper Capitan. The problem is the Penguins once this once Crosby isn't Crosby anymore, the Penguins are making it impossible to think that they're going to be able to be anything near competitive. As soon as Crosby leaves, they're done. The problem is we have no idea when Crosby's leaving. Well, Crosby the, is, is sneakily young all the time. He's only 33. It makes me sick. Sure, but he's also a guy that's got a long injury history. He's, he's not a guy that's been able to stay healthy 100% of the time. But so you, it's when not you just say Crosby, leaves, you, mean, you mean retire, right? Because he's not. He's gonna. Be, I don't think he's going to play with another team. No, he's not going to another team. Never. Yes, reti- re- retire. Okay, yeah, I could see that in four years. Just my uneducated opinion on that. I could see him at, at 37 trying to hang it up. Totally could see that. But that's four yeah, more years. Yeah, I, I mean, they'll, they're going to have to make a Malkin decision sooner than that, I believe. We, we've gotten some questions Malkin, on Malkin. Like, could Malkin fit on the Rangers? Like, you know. I, they're not, here's the thing. They're as not fun that. as it is to do all these different things that we're going to do this offseason with theoretical trades, there's one thing I know. It's that the Penguins are not trading Evgeny Malkin. Yes. Like, they're just – Whatever happens with Evgeny Malkin, it's, they're just going to go down with the shit. He's sticking. That, that's what's going to happen in Pittsburgh. Couldn't agree more. Um, other topics we got to get to real quick. Uh, the Kravtsov debacle from over the weekend. He's going to play in the KHL year, all year. Who cares? He's, we still don't know if it's. We still don't know if it's all year. Yes, we do. Uh, well, he's going to play the whole season for the KHL, pretty much. We think. we don't know that either. We think, unless the Rangers want to call him back. But the season's right. going to be so mostly like, over by the time the the hockey's actually playing in the NHL. So they're probably going to let him to let him finish out over there, and they'll call him out. They'll call him over after the season's over. That's it. Which would make perfect if the season starts in mid December. I don't think it makes any sense for the Rangers to call him back. What you're going to wait three more months? Who cares? Yeah. Like just let him finish the season there. But at the same time, if the Rangers didn't want to wait three more months, they can call him back. It's right. Just, but there were quote unquote conflicting reports that they that he could play or he was going to be locked into playing with the KHL. Vince talked to the Rangers and said. They can call back whenever they want. So yeah, it's, not it, it's but it, it just, I don't know what it, it's the same crap soft conversation we had last week or the week before. Oh, I, honestly I don't, don't care. Where I'm happy. He's going over there. I'm happy. He's developing all right. And it's just this, what, this week too. So it's not that weird. What, what were people, what, what was the honest expectation for Kravtsov if he didn't go back to the KHL? It's like, like 30 points. He'd be starting at Hartford points. Again. If he played. No, he wouldn't. He, honestly, where where is he playing without with the absence of a major trade happening before the season started? He'd have to beat playing? out Gauthier. 
And in my eyes, and, uh, we it, have no has, reason to believe we have no reason to believe that that was going to be likely. That's exactly he's done. He had not done enough to do that just yet. That in my eyes. So he, you're talking about a right side of the Rangers wing mm-hmm. that currently has Pavel Buchnevich entrenched. That has Kabokako entrenched. The Rangers gave up meaningful assets to get Gauthier. I would consider him entrenched. So you're still talking about a guy that in all likelihood is either playing on a third or fourth line in the NHL. And why that has some value, it only has value on the third line. And then if the Rangers bring back Jesper Foss, Kravtsov once again becomes the Rangers' fifth right winger. And they're not going to keep him up. They're going to let him play in the AHL. They're not going to bury him on the fourth line like they have other people. He's going to get better, more meaningful minutes playing in Russia. It's I it's what no doubt about he, it. if he comes back in March, he's essentially a trade piece the Rangers have acquired. I just I Russian forget the Russian wingers take extra time or Russian prospects in general take extra time argument, which is a good argument to have, and I'm sure we'll have it again. But it's I just what about opening night were you expecting Vitaly Kravtsov to play 15 minutes a night? It's never going to happen. If he came over here and knocked the lights off last year, or even in camp when we saw him just recently, he was impressive like the level of Calendar Miller was impressive, then they wouldn't let him do this. But he didn't. So that's just it. He's going to yeah, go develop. The, the thing that I just – I think the conversation ends with which Ranger right winger do you expect him to get playing time over? And the only answer is if Jesper Foss walks – but we don't even know if Jesper Foss is walking yet. We're good. Yeah. So, like, if Foss comes back, he is firmly, just for this upcoming season, the Rangers' fifth right winger. I'd rather that guy just play 20 minutes a night in Russia every night. Agree. All right, let's get to five-star questions, and then uh, we'll go over to our interview with our actual good friend, Josh, from Evolving Wild. Um, if you want to leave a five-star question, leave a five-star review on Bush Breakaway, the iTunes. We will read it on the show. Uh, this is from Ian. He literally r- wrote this out for me. Don't worry. Everyone has trouble pronouncing my last name. It's C.T. Lidis. Okay, Ian, thank you. It's the correct pronunciation. Number two is the question is, why is the Rangers' social media platform so boring? I know they've gotten better over the years, but they don't still don't compare to Dallas or even New Jersey. Their social media platform are rather boring and post nothing but players smiling with a Party City logo in the top right corner. Time to fire somebody. Okay, I could do a whole out like hour and a half on this. Um, I won't, but I could. I think the Rangers are a little bit behind the times in social media, but they have come a long way this year. Uh, are they like at like the Canes or the Dallas Stars or even the Colorado Avalanche? No, absolutely not. But I think the Rangers MSG account does a pretty good job. I think they're pretty memeable. Sometimes they do some funny stuff. They try and interact with the fans. They do it well. The New York Rangers actual social media account has come a long way in the past like two months because before this past two months, it's been pretty brutal. It's been pretty corporate. And I think they're starting to see the lay of the land that like, wow, we can get more interaction and people genuinely like us. And it affects people the way people look at us if we're friendly and interactive on Twitter. And uh, I think they're going sort of that direction. They just haven't figured it out just yet. Yeah. I, I It's hard to compare the Rangers to other NHL organizations because you just have to remember who runs the Rangers. So like when you it's not like the Knicks do anything super fun either. So it's, it's when you really, when it really comes down to it at the end of the day, and I haven't said that in a while, I don't think it, it comes down to the Rangers social media account reflects how the organization wants to be run. And until Dolan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, 
wants to change the organizational structure, I don't think we're ever going to see the Rangers social media account reflect that. Like maybe, maybe he's loosening the reins a little bit on some of this stuff. I thought what the Rangers were doing with the ping pong ball was at least funny. It, it, it didn't like, it was funny for the Rangers. I think other teams probably would have had more fun with it. Yeah, I get jealous by Ranger standards. It would fun and like other accounts. I get. I'm like, oh wow, this would be awesome. Yeah, I just, I think the Rangers are a reflection of what the organization wants to be on social media, and if that changes, it'd be great because, like you said, the the Carolina Hurricanes clean up on social media accounts and well deserved because it what their content is good and it's funny and it's creative and it's different. I think everyone just wants to see different on Twitter these days. I, I, I personally, whatever the Rangers want to do, good for them. Like it, 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 to me, this is kind of like a third Jersey conversation for me. I, it's not going to impact my day one way or the other. It would be fun. It would be fun to interact with that account more if it seemed like it had personality, but I'm not going to hold my breath hoping it does. Yeah, same. Uh, I actually, I hope it does one day. I will actually hope. Uh, this next question is from uh, Mike, and Mike from New Haven, who is a frequent commenter here. Uh, pretty much I'm going to sum his question. Hey, Tony D'Angelo is a very, um, how do I put this, uh, controversial figure when it comes to uh, yeah, tw- no shit. Yeah, Twitter and hockey lands in general. Uh, you know, he, doesn't, he says here, it's like, whatever he wants to do, I don't care, but it does, he is sort of a fire starter in that case. Uh, nevertheless, his offensive value has never been higher, and so he's strictly looking at Tony the player. Would you entertain the idea of a sign-in trade involving him, and what do you think the return would be? Yes, I think we've talked about this a lot with Tony, where we, we do entertain the idea of just like, or maybe not the sign-in trade aspect of it, um, but if, if someone wanted us to sign him and then trade, we would do it. I think if Tony right now is very, very expendable despite his offensive ability because of the way, the way Rangers right side lines up. I think you can make a case that Tony isn't expendable if you wanted to, like with his points and offensive ability. But we talk about uh, this with uh, Josh in a second. The, the ability to actually play defense is really important when it comes to winning a cup and when it comes to succeeding. Tony lacks in that area. And yes, his points and his the, the offensive ability is rare, and it's, it's quite extraordinary, honestly, for a defenseman in the NHL, but the rest of his game is pretty lacking. So if I had the ability to get some serious package in return, like, would you do it for the number 15 and overall pick right now? Cause I would. Well, yeah. Yeah. Easily. Right? Uh, again, it, I don't want to, I don't want to, this is another conversation. I don't want us to have every week. Cause I, I, I think we're beating a dead horse at this point. Yeah. Like every, everybody has a good reason. We can't hide from it for not wanting Tony D'Angelo on the New York Rangers. If it, if it deals with off-ice issues, it's a good reason. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it isn't. If, 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 it bo- if It's bothersome. It's troublesome. It's worrisome. All of those things. It's, it's not how you would expect someone to conduct themselves off or away from... Like if Tony D'Angelo's name was John Rocker, everybody would feel one way about it and everyone would agree with it. But... I think that's we just, live that's a, different, just a time. different time. That's the nineties. Yeah, we we live we live in a different time. Uh, there there are seven thousand six hundred and twenty five reasons to trade Tony D'Angelo for off ice issues. But if we're talking specifically, like we have been on this podcast about on the ice production, it doesn't matter how many points Tony D'Angelo ever puts up. He will never be better than the third most important right handed defenseman for the New York Rangers. Now we've talked about scenarios where the Rangers could actually keep him. That's by moving him to the left side where the Rangers clearly have a weakness and they can clearly play him with someone that can help make up 
for his defensive deficiencies. Uh, they don't want to do that for whatever reason. We've seen it time and time again. The only time Tony D'Angelo ever plays on his offhand is when the New York Rangers are desperate for a goal late in the game, and that's when they play him with Adam Fox. If that's not something they want to do on a night-in, night-out basis, then the New York Rangers, like any smart organization would, would see their third most important defensive asset as something of extreme value on the trade market. And whether it's by sign and trade, whether it's by for a straight draft pick, whether it's to a team that is seriously lacking on the power play, whatever reason you want to come up with, there are more reasons to trade Tony D'Angelo than there are to keep him. Because the argument to keep him will always be overshadowed by the fact that he is not Jacob Truba and he is not Adam Fox. And if you're not going to move him to the left, he's not going to be more important than those two players. So in my mind, that's like having four really good starting pitchers, but having a shit lineup or infield and trying to turn that starting pitcher into in, infield help. Right. I don't, I, it, it's, it seems cut and dry to me. I, I don't understand the, I mean, I, Again, I understand the people that are like, oh, you can't be cut and dry because you feel X, Y, and Z. Like, I'm not telling you who to vote for. I, that's, that's up to you, buddy. I love how we just say I'm Tony's just name from a hockey, bu- hockey yeah. team-building standpoint. Tony D'Angelo will never be more important than the third right-handed defenseman on the New York Rangers. It's a fact. I would like to get more value for that because I think that position on any hockey team should be somewhat replaceable. It shouldn't be something you lock into for a long period. If of time. Adam Fox didn't exist, I would be talking about signing Tony D'Angelo for five years. I Correct. Think, I think that's exactly where I am. I, it, it, I don't. I maybe we wouldn't be, but again, from a from a hockey team building standpoint, I think I would be honestly. Which you know, I, it, again, taking away everything about Tony, I just think his offensive ability is really rare. Just is, and he has that. Now we saw him get exposed in the playoffs. I think he was a little hurt at the time. I uh, got taken advantage of and was totally destroyed defensively. Could not defend it. And he had times like that where he, this season where he was had that issue. But what he brings otherwise, there's some repetitiveness. I want Adam Fox to run the power play, not Tony. Tony's better at running the power uh, – isn't better at running the power play than Fo- Adam Fox when things are probably in the next two years. So I want Fox to do that, and that's just the end all be all of it. And if Fox didn't exist, if Fox didn't do what he did this year, I think I'd be talking about Tony on the Rangers for a long time. But that's not the case. So we have extra value, and I want to take advantage of it. That's it. Yeah, but we even even by mentioning who runs – like Tony D'Angelo doesn't run the power play for the New York Rangers. That's our Temi Panarin's unit. He is the most important factor on the New York Rangers power play. Yes, Tony D'Angelo plays on it, and yes, Tony D'Angelo – plays at the at the top of the ice mm-hmm. which makes him a central figure but that power play is successful depending on the mood Artemi Panarin is in so like Ryan Lindgren could play on that power play unit and it would still be pretty damn good because Artemi Panarin decides it's pretty damn good I I just th- I did I don't want to sit here and there is something to being a power play quarterback on a normal power play unit what the New York Rangers have on their first power play unit is not normal because Artemi Panarin exists. Fair. So I just I will I just want that to be out there in the universe right now. A couple more questions. Uh, Michelle N says, "Hey guys, great episode as always. My question is, what would be your NHL team equivalent to the Knicks' bizarre level of continuous talent, lack of talent rather, and bad luck?" The mm. important part there is lack of talent. Um, continuous bad talent and bad luck. Yeah. So the NBA equivalent, specifically 
the National Basketball Association, like the, the Knicks, NHL equivalent the, to the Rangers. The yes, the no, 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 the NHL equivalent to the Knicks. So who the Knicks? It? That's what I meant. That's correct. Martin Jocks. Um, yes. This is a tough one. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of parity in the league. I can't say Ottawa because they made like that deep run and also beat the Rangers in the playoffs a couple of years ago. The Jets have been good. You know, I mean Montreal has been good. Carey Price is there. I'm trying to think of like teams that are just total shit. Arizona, maybe, like, but even then, yeah, I. It's not. They're not Arizona's. The Knicks. Arizona's problem isn't always luck. It's, it's part of the problem is. It, it might be the Coyotes, but even then, they've made the playoffs. The Knicks can't do that. Yeah, I. Uh, I want maybe Vancouver. No, Vancouver made the finals, and they set their. And they also the, the Vancouver got, Pedersen. Yeah. Um, exactly. That's tough. Yeah. That's a tough one. I don't know I, if there is the a Knicks, there is The Knicks one. are an anomaly. Yeah, there's something. The different. Knicks have no comparison. I'm looking through all the the Panthers, no. Sabres, no. I guess you could make a case for the Sabres. But they have Eichel. Like the and they have Dalene. Yeah, but I guess you I guess you can make the argument that Eichel to the Sabres is like Mello or Porzingis was to the Knicks. Knicks couldn't figure it out with them either. Knicks figured it out once with Mello. And then they quickly stopped. I think it's the Sabres. Because the Sabres still do moves that make you think they're trying, like Jeff Skinner. But then they also do shit like, we don't want Ryan O'Reilly anymore, despite him being really good. And what does O'Reilly do? He immediately wins a cup in St. Louis. Yeah, I can't look at any other team here. That The Buffalo Sabres is the only team I think is, are even close. I think, it's, I think it's the Sabres, because I think you can say that Ike, Eichel to the Sabres is mellow or Przingis to the Knicks. The Knicks can figure it out with them. The only difference is the Sabres haven't tried to trade Eichel yet, which okay. the Knicks did twice. Next question is from Lindros Forever. If the Rangers strike out finding a number two center and move Strom, what are your thoughts on moving Kreider to center? Could solve some problems in fitting all no. wingers? Yep, no, absolutely. It, it's, a non, it's a non-starter. Stop, stop the question. Chris <laughs> Kreider's not – this isn't This isn't like turning a shortstop into a second baseman. Yeah, it's not, like, I, it's I not happening here. I understand we're moving a lot closer to positionless hockey, but the things that Chris Kreider does well, he will no longer do well if you take him off the way. Couldn't agree more. Uh, he does keep up the good work, praise be. I appreciate the question. Uh, this is the last question from the from the seven uh, three two. Hey guys, love the show. Whenever anything major happens, I check for emergency podcasts right away. Uh, they always happen on Monday, so they come out Tuesday morning. Sometimes we do them early, of course. Uh, here's my question: Who is your favorite hockey player to watch that was never a Ranger? Mine was Ray Bork. Hmm. I guess like. I feel like he's asking for his or she is asking for historical preference, not just like current players, right? Yeah, I mean, it, Mike I'm Gun- too young to say Mario Lemieux. I'm too yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Like I'm too young, and I don't want to be like, oh Gretzky, <laughs> but Gretzky, wait, Gretzky for the Rangers. Never mind. Um, yeah, I was, you're, yeah, you're having a tough one today. Right? I have Wayne Gretzky got hockey ninety nine. It's an amazing game for an N sixty four. Yeah, I, I, I was too young to appreciate Lemieux. I like. Yager played for the Rangers. Know. It's tough. I, the what? I've always thought about guys I've wanted the Rangers to draft that they just didn't draft for some reason. But like Claude Giroux is not my favorite player to watch. Yeah, like I like Tarasenko outside the New York Rangers, but he's also a modern day player. There's like a couple. Like, um, I have modern day players that I like have. Like I wish they were Rangers. Like I know. Yeah, like the, Nathan McKinnon is just. 
I, I don't care what the ticket price is. I will pay it to watch Nathan. McKinnon. I, I'm going to go even worse. Like not, not actually, obviously Connor um, McDavid is one. You, everyone would say no joke about it. A player I've always like been fond of is Brennan Gallagher. <laughs> like I, I would, I would love Brennan Gallagher to be on a Rangers. I don't know why I've always been fond of him, but like, that's a player I love watching when I, when, it, when he plays hockey. I don't know. I'm into it. I think I, I don't, I don't know if this is a cop out. It's just, I don't think enough people appreciated Nick Lidstrom on a national basis when he was playing for the Red Wings. So I'll say Nick Lidstrom mostly because I think he's the best, just the best defenseman the league has seen in the last X number of years. And maybe, maybe he didn't get as much national love as he deserves. I'm sure every look, if Rick Carpinella heard me saying that, he'd be like, you're an idiot, yes. a bigger idiot than I think you already are. Yes. But maybe, maybe the younger more contemporary hockey fan isn't as familiar with someone like Nick Lidstrom. I'll say Chara too. I'll say Chara too. I was going to say like Sergei Fedorov, someone in that ilk, but I think Lidstrom is the guy that it's hard to think of being a bad hockey team. If you had Nick Lidstrom on your team. Agree. All right, let's go to our interview. Uh, But before we get to our interview, we're going to hear from some of our advertisers. And uh, before we even do that, we're going to hear from a new podcast from the athletics. So Tran, this is the athletic football show i think every football season is a big challenge in one way or another introducing the athletic football show an all-new podcast with me robert mays and a team of world-class nfl writers and analysts we'll feature expert guests and our plugged-in beat writers from around the league what patrick mahomes did in the last nine minutes is just absurd you can subscribe now to the athletic football show on apple podcasts spotify or the podcast provider of your choice and stay with us all season long as the athletic brings you what matters most in today's nfl and today's episode of Bushes Breakaway is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped has you covered to keep your hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supportive. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. The premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and includes an LED light and is made with advanced skincare trademarked technology, which reduces nicks and cuts of your delicate. Ooh. You can get this trimmer inside the Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes Manscaped's Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, and Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray. Very nice, Manscaped. Both super practical, and they smell great, too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order a Perfect Package kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and Manscaped, the Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxers, they're cooling boxer briefs. They might want to be... They're the, the best part. They might be the best part. Who knows? You find out. You tell me if they're the best part. Get 20% off. And free shipping today with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the Athletic 20 for... And from the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. Manscaped. With football right around the corner, there is no better place to get in all the action than DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving all users a no-brainer start to the season. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Have you ever heard a football team losing by 100 points? Well, for week one, DraftKings is assuring you that if Kansas City were to lose in historic fashion, you would still cash your bet. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City to plus 101 points for all users. So if Kansas City loses by 100 points, you still win big with DraftKings Sportsbook. That's a no-brainer. On top of that amazing offer, DraftKings is giving away up to $100 million 
in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool. And all you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, enter their survivor pool, and you'll instantly get one sh- get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code QUICK to take advantage of this no-brainer offer. And that's promo code QUICK and get in on the LD action for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years or older. New Jersey only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back to the show. Hey, we're back with our guest of the day. It's one half of Evolving Wild. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. I think you're a recurring guest now. This is a couple times you've been on. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was trying to think. I think this is maybe third or fourth time now. Something like that. Um, Always a great time. It's Yeah, I think that the first time was both of us, and then the last few times it's just been me, maybe. What did, I seem to what did we do to your brother? I don't know. I think it's more that uh, uh, just for whatever reason, I, I tend to just kind of answer the, the DMs asking for <laughs> podcast. And, and we have uh, we used to do like a little bit more of a proper setup to get like both of us on. But so we got new new computers and the new MacBooks. Actually, I just they have such good microphones built in that I, I can just re- open it up and record it. And it sounds like, OK, so I don't know. It's a little bit easier just to have one of us do. And also we've had I've noticed that um even though I think it's fun, uh, it, and I think our voices sound enough alike, it's. I think it's hard for other people when there's two of us and we're talking a lot, you know, it, to distinguish both of us. And it, it, I think it gets confusing. <laughs> I think. I think this is a really long way of just saying that Luke hates us. Yeah, I agree. I, I, uh, that's really what it comes. Just down let to. let Luke know he's welcome back whenever he wants. And when we had you both on, I thought it was very interesting because I like to hear both your sides, even though like, I feel like sometimes, and I feel like a lot of people feel this way. They have no idea which one they're talking to because you share the same Twitter. Just like people sometimes yell at me because Greg is Boucher's breakaway and not Greg. So people yell at me and it's like, I'm not him. That's not how this works. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I will. uh, I will. I I think next time uh, we can, we can definitely set it up so that we can, I do like when we're both on, but I think that some, and it, I think it depends. Like you guys clearly don't have a problem, and I think enjoy having both of us on. But I think some people do. Uh, it's it's just difficult, and we're pretty good about it. Like you know, we've done a, you know, I mean, over the years, we've done a lot of podcasts. We're both on, mm-hmm. and we're both in the same room when we do them. And we kind of like look at each other before we're going to answer questions to try and like you know make sure only one of us is talking and that stuff. But uh, but yeah, it's um. It's a little simpler when it's just one of us, but maybe not quite as fun. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question directly that you could answer for the both of you. How yeah. the hell did the cab friendly thing happen and how pumped are you? Well, first of all, uh, very pumped. Uh, it, it's to be completely honest, this has been in the works for like a, for a very long time. Awesome. Um, we've been um, kind of in, in, I mean, we've been, we've, that was kind of, kind of some of our early stuff that we did even before, um, you know, get building the website and having a bigger Twitter was just kind of getting cap info. I mean, it was, you know, as some people know, a lot of our intro to hockey stuff was just almost recreating like certain sabermetric or baseball type approaches like right. for hockey. And that was kind of, cause a lot of that stuff you can kind of still get away with doing in Excel and you don't need to work with any big models. I think one of the first things we, we did after we started getting into it was kind of recreating with Dawson or don't tell me about hearts war uh, metrics back in, I think it was the 16, 17 season um when he released those and we we took that and then tried to do kind of similar like the baseball cost per war that kind of stuff so how much does one win cost how much you know value did this player add in terms of hockey you know wins that kind of stuff um and so just early on i think that we were 
you know, we weren't using a ton of cap friendly data, but we were just kind of working with it early on. Um, and they kind of, you know, took a little notice, but then kind of back and forth. I think the, the one thing was when we um, kind of took, you know, took up the torts from Matt Cain with the being the, you know, quote unquote contract model that people would look at after he got hired by the devils. Um, I think then we kind of had a bit of uh, there was a good situation where um, we it was beneficial for us to have their contract data. And they, I think, started to want to go down the path of adding some stats and stuff to their website right. because I think that was yeah, so, stuff so they had. Just quick, not to cut you off, but quickly explain to everyone out there that uh, what exactly you're doing with Cap Friendly now. So I know we just explained how you got there, but in case people don't know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty, like, to be honest, it's it's not the most, uh, ro- you know, it, it's not, I, I don't want to say it's like the biggest, you know, it's not like a pure partnership where we're all, you know, now one entity. It's We're still doing our own things, but we're just essentially kind of doing um, some sharing of data and stats and whatnot. So we have a, essentially an agreement that we get to, we're using uh, Cap Friendly's, um, you know, contract data. So all of the stuff that is built and used and I guess would be any contract data is directly from and and basically it's not, it's like legitimate cap friendly data and that's goes the same thing cap friendly added player stats to their player pages and team pages and that kind of stuff and so you can look at contract data alongside you know some some stats or whatever that they didn't have before so that's pretty much the agreement but it's pretty cool to see um you know evolving hockey on the uh, cap friendly website which has admittedly extremely high amount of traffic compared to our website so it's pretty fun to see that <laughs> that's awesome man. yeah it's almost like cap friendly is almost becoming its own little by including you guys it's almost morphing into hockey's version of fan graphs and yeah and, and sorry go on no 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 i was just it, it's it's kind of like i think cap friendly is still going to be more of a um they're definitely still more on the contract side and that's always going to be their thing i mean at least for now i you'd have to obviously talk to them i'm, I'm sure they're they're both uh, they're pretty happy about, I think, just having some stats because that was some of the stuff I, I, I think that they had some feedback that people wanted to just be able to, you know, compare some stuff. Now, granted, I mean, most of the stuff that um, that they have from us is, is not it's not any of our like what you might call proprietary stuff. So it's yeah. all kind of on our site. So, um, you know, it's, it's just a good arrangement overall. We're pretty it's pretty happy that I think we started talking about a year ago. Um, about doing something like this and so it's pretty great to have it finally come out you know a year later there's a before we get to picking your mind about the minnesota wild some other things there's a there's something i've been meaning to tell you for a while or at least ask you i was uh in pre-pandemic days when you were allowed to go to brunch and stuff like that on a sunday Mm -hmm. i was at uh i was at a brunch with my friends who's a gigantic baseball fan and he was like yeah fan uh, fan graphs is doing a big crossover podcast where they have like a bunch of people on from other sports to talk about their analytics and they were like, we had they had these two twins on for hockey. I was like, I know those guys. And <laughs> I, I guess my question I wanted to talk about at that point in time was like, did you pick? You mentioned like picking stats from baseball and recreating them. But did you pick anybody's mind in baseball of exactly how they did things or how what uh, the process of creating these analytics? Like, how much like influence did baseball actually have on you guys? Yeah, I, I think that uh, well, as a lot of people know, I think from just our backstory, we didn't grow up as hockey fans grew up, even though we're from Minnesota um, and our dad played hockey and, you know, I had a lot of friends who played hockey. I didn't play hockey. Uh, I was a ski. I skied in the winter and I played baseball in the summer and I played baseball from when I was a kid to T-ball all the way up to college. And I stopped in college. Um, And so baseball is always kind of my entry point to anything. And, uh, you know, naturally just, you know, I think that early on when we just first started getting into hockey, I was, that was probably maybe like 10, 12 years ago. And, 
I was already kind of into the Sabre stuff because that was already going on. And so when I first started watching hockey, that that was kind of how that was my entry point. It was like, oh, I wonder what else they if there's Sabre type stuff that hockey does. Um, I think with when we first started getting kind of serious, you know, not just like going on Reddit and, you know, shit posting or making comments or just kind of going on random forums here and there. But like you like legitimately started working with data and metrics and trying to do stuff. I we did early on. There were a few. I think Tango Tiger, uh, Tom Tango on Twitter was he, he was a lot of his stuff is still out there and very public and um, his early models or whatever are, are, are not terribly difficult to reproduce that's kind of the whole point of them is that they're a lot of the times the stuff that he was doing was like kind of benchmarking so that you could do stuff that was more complicated but you should be expected to beat the thing that he you know made so one of the the classic ones that he's that he's associated with is the marcelo monkey projections for players um which are pretty simple but that was some of the early stuff we did so we reached out to him and also um I, I feel like he's changed his name, but uh, Lickman, I think is his name or no uh, MLG. Um, I'm trying to remember. He, let me see if I can, I should know this but, credit to this guy. What? I'm just crediting him. Whoever, whoever this person is, I credit them. Yeah, I, I can't, he, he did. He had an excellent series of posts or like articles on, on aging curves. And we had some discussions with him about how to best do it. And there were a few other people, but to be honest, there hadn't, I mean, I'm not trying to say we were the first to do it, but there weren't a lot of people who had really kind of done the crossover between baseball and hockey like early on that had done more than just a couple of little kind of cursory looks at what maybe baseball had done. So it did kind of feel like we were on our own a little bit. Um, but yeah, the fan graphs thing, I just just not to keep rambling too much, but that was that was just crazy because Ben Lindbergh asked us, he DM'd us randomly. They were doing that series that they were trying to in their in baseball's offseason, <clears throat> they were they wanted to get you know, different sports. And I think they ended up getting like 12, they did like 12 or 15 they episodes did, yeah. from very, yeah. And it, I mean, I would recommend your listeners. It was an incredible series. Not, I mean, not obviously, obviously because we're on, no, I'm just kidding. It was, it was <laughs> everything else that Ben got on, but I had been listening to the, the effectively wild podcast for years before I was into hockey stuff. I mean, I, and it was just crazy to be on a podcast talking to Ben Lindbergh, who I had been listening to on that podcast for years before it was just a really, like, that's one of the most surreal things that I've that we've done to be honest and was go on the effectively wild podcast with Ben Lindbergh and just like talk to him. It was just crazy. Like so, if I ever went on with Zach Lowe, I wouldn't know what to do. You know what I mean? I'd be like, I don't know, man, I've been following you for 10 years. <laughs> like, What do yeah. I do at this point? Yeah. And it was, it was just, it was also pretty fun to hear from Ben that he was like, he was aware of the hockey stuff. And like, he said that it was just, that was one of the things he he loved hockey like he wished that he would have gotten into it earlier and you know but it's it felt kind of like he was still he was fully baseball still but it was just clear and also ben's just a great guy and super interesting and so yeah that was that was pretty fun too are you telling me josh that you don't feel the same way when we invite you on <laughs> <laughs> Look, big, big time yeah. ranger fan a lot of, a lot of notable ranger people in your life i'm sure a lot of minnesota <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, the Rangers are one of the higher up in terms of just the people we interact with. And just I think Rangers fans have, uh, as you guys know, their own kind of uh, um, they're let's just say they're they're one of the one of the they're not as quite as offensive as some of the other fan bases online, at least from what we interact with, you know, um, and there's a lot of them. And I think Rangers fans in general are a little bit more open to some of the data side and analytics and and don't seem to really um, at least the people that reach out to us, there seems to be more just kind of, you know, but yeah, sorry. I haven't been listening to you guys for, you know, for <laughs> please, 10 years. Like please don't. <laughs> it, let's do it. I am, 
I am a, I I am hurt. But spe- speaking of speaking of hurt, Josh, has there have we ever podcasted during a time when Byron Buxton was healthy? Oh man, it has been. I first of all, I don't think so. Maybe once, but I it's yeah, <laughs> like an off season podcast where we don't know the health of Byron <laughs> yeah. Buxton. I yeah I at this point it's and and it, it's been well I don't want to I I I could I could ramble about this it's it's just it hurts it hurts I'll just say that yeah. it hurts as as someone that covered him in high school it breaks my heart too so I'm right there with yeah. you <laughs> shall shall we actually get into uh, yeah we shall Rangers Wild specific talk now yes. I, I suppose yes yeah wow. that that sounds good to uh, me. Josh I think the last time we had you on it was it was pre shutdown the world seemed uh, less tenuous than it is today. And I think we were specifically talking about our good friend um, Jason Zucker and how I wanted the Rangers to acquire him. That's and how- now that Zucker, he's gone. And But wh- before he left and before you left our last podcast, I made a snide comment about how Jonas Brodeen might not be long for the Minnesota Wild universe. And we're now living in a we're, – we're kind of approaching that universe where it's starting, it's starting to feel more – more likely than not, I would think at this point, right? You're, you're a wild fan. You're more connected to the rumors than we are. When we said it last time, it seemed like a far-fetched idea. Does it feel like a Jonas Brodeen trade is still far-fetched? I don't think, no. I, I think it's gotten more and more likely as, definitely since the last time that I was on. Although I will say, I think that I was on right as the quarantine stuff was starting to, sh- to come around. Because we I think we talked about contracts. But point... Uh, you know, point point taken. Uh, Jonas Bernie, I feel like is definitely one of the more it, it feel, you know, obviously, I don't know anything more than what you would hear out on Twitter. I don't particularly have any uh, big connections to the team or anything like that. So this is all what you can kind of find out there. But just as a wild fan and somebody who's been following the team for a long time, um, I think that it Brodeen is definitely one of the players I think the Wild would be um, are definitely probably trying to get some value out of. Uh, and I think that he, along with probably Dumba um, and maybe one of their uh, some of their younger forwards, I think, are probably what the Wild are looking to probably try and trade into something. So I think that Brodeen, from for my money, I think a lot of teams are probably looking at him as a really great uh, defensive option to be in their top four, probably. And I think that's definitely true. What are the for for people who don't know Brodine because I haven't watched a lot of it. Just be totally honest. What yeah. what can you expect from a player like that? If, if Ranger fans like, I I know that's someone that's come up in trade talks for us. I know that's someone that fans want us to target. I'm not sure what the deal would take. I'm not sure what the value is. But could you explain the player a little bit for people who haven't watched him? Yeah. So Brodine, he's a um. Uh, let me just pull up. Just make sure I can. I wanted to get his age. The charts right, are but... good. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, 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 he's 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 my all-time favorite McCurdy heat map. That that much I know. Yeah. He so he's one of the wild players that um is kind of that like what you said the the hockey biz you know basically just all blue shot map kind of thing. Uh, he's a left shot defenseman. He's been on the Wild second uh, second pair with Dumba for several years now. So I think it's been three or four years. Um, that's behind. Uh, the Suter Spurgeon pairing. They tried him out. Okay, he came up originally as his rookie season, as some people remember, was a really good season where he played um, the right side with Suter for the year. And he was like 18 or 19, I think. And that, er, since then, he hasn't really like done as much offensively. But what Brodine really adds is he's 
been one of the better, if not the best defenseman defensively in the league for the better part of five or six years. Um, he's kind of in that like Yonelson mold where he just is a pure shutdown D. But the thing I think a lot of people don't always realize is his transition game is extremely good as well. Um, so he's really good at exiting the zone. He's really great at kind of making uh, just great passes to set up like entries as well. Um, granted, the Wild aren't the biggest at zone entries. They, they've always been much more in the dump and chase kind of like, you know, get it down low, go retrieve it kind of approach. And that's that's been their system for a while. But uh, defensively, he's an extremely responsible player, he, great skater. Um, and he just he works well. The other thing that that I think Ranger fans might uh, enjoy or any team really is he's very good at be, at pairing with a kind of a more offensive upside like type player who maybe had some issues defensively. Like that was kind of always the thing with Dumba is that Dumba was extremely talented, one of the best shots from a defenseman in the league, but his defensive game was always not very good. And so they basically have become a pretty good pair where they kind of balance each other out. Not, I think a lot of people think that the really defensive defensemen can really be good on pairs with high offensive skill defensemen who need help defensively, but that's not always the case. But Brodine really is a great pair in general. And I think he, if given the shot, I think that he could have been Ryan Suter for several years if Suter wasn't on the team. I think he's he's definitely a top-pairing defenseman from a defensive standpoint. So that's kind of just a, a broad overview of kind of where he's at. That sounds like a perfect yeah, fit and the, for the what New York, we're looking to do. Yeah, the Rangers are in are in the market for any left-handed defenseman that could just play defense. Like, yeah, for, forget about playing forget about playing it extremely well like Brodine does. Just someone to actually play it would be a step in the right direction for them. Um, the, the knock on Bro, it's, it's not even a knock, right? It's just a statement of fact. He's one year away from unrestricted free agency. He's seemingly underpaid as things stand right now. I mean, he's making what? Like a shade under $4.2 million per year. Um, you, I, I don't know if you have models available on Brodeen yet because it's an, an additional year away from free agency. But this, this is a guy we're talking about that's going to be making north of $7 million when he hits unrestricted free agency right i well that's the thing i think it's really and and the one the thing i think it's tough i i i can look i'm going to look right now because we do actually project contracts for players that aren't free agents right now um but it's a little bit tricky because it's kind of like out of context so you you know they this isn't their free agent year so i could pull it up i the thing is with Bernie is he's never been a, like a high point getter he, he i think in the last few years uh you know he's maybe been in like the 25 to 30 range um and he's not really known as a power play guy i mean he can play that but he doesn't really get power play time as much um he's kind of more on the second kind of unit that thing um i think right now we have him projected more at like a five-year term like or like not five sorry five year but like five million uh it, yeah and I, I think that just based on he's been much more of a second pair d for so long and he's just not a. that's the one thing that if people like with Brodinus, he's not an offensive player. Like he can play in that role, but play he, he's just much better as in terms of his value comes from his defense. And so from a contract projection standpoint, or just looking at what he might make, because he just doesn't get top pairing minutes and the top pairing points that come along with those are top pair power play stuff. Um, I, I think that his his actual contract is probably going to come more in like, I could see just because of the hype and, and, um, and just people 
I think that defensive top pair guy is, is, is kind of starting to be more valuable because they're just not, they're kind of rarer. I think more like 6 million seems right to me. If we, I think if we did it again, um, you know, or, or if we, if we take into account, if he's an actual free agent, but uh, yeah, he's got another year. Uh, he will be, I think 28 um, by that time, I want to say. And so he's getting, you know, he's getting a little older, but I think for any team, Brodine is somebody he's also had, you know, he's been a very consistent player in terms of time on ice. Like he hasn't had a lot of injuries. He's played a decent amount of games every year for the most part, um, you know, here and there are some, a couple games, but so, yeah, I think like something more like a five or six year deal at like somewhere between five and a half and six or six and a half, maybe it seems more reasonable to me right now. It seems very, very, very reasonable that, and something very that, enticing. That stuff's so crazy to me though, that like other NHL teams would use Brodine being used as a second pair defenseman to his detriment like it, it doesn't matter what another team uses him as if a team is signing him you would think they would value him a certain way like imagine imagine teams went into baseball free agency right Zach Wheeler yeah. was one of the big free agents last year someone who never was better than a third or fourth starter for the Mets just because the Mets have always had ridiculous starting pitching but some teams like oh Zach Wheeler's a number four starter so we can't pay him more than you would pay a yeah. number four starter yeah. And like, that's just kind of what happens. I mean, I think that they're probably, that's why I say like, I don't, I think our projection right now of 5 million AV at a five-year term is low. Like I think, I think somewhere around six makes more sense for a team, especially if they're trading for him and then they don't get to see him. The thing, but that's the thing with hockey is that you like just teams, they don't like, first of all, the wild are one of the under, most underwatched teams, I think in the, in the league, that's not to say from league or, you know, from organizations, but a lot of people just don't know about their players unless they're, you know, suitor or, or Parisi or maybe Spurgeon at this point. But I think Brodine is just kind of a player who's just, he doesn't have number one, he's had the name recognition. Number two, just because of Suter being on the team, he hasn't been top pair guy. So he's on their second pair, even though I think it's, I think it's pretty fair, even though the Wild haven't done much with it. Um, well, they kind of have, but the Wild have had the best top four in the league, I think for several years. Uh, you know, I think the only comparable is maybe St. Louis or, or Tampa, maybe Nashville too, but at least the top three, top, you know, top four defensemen. And so, Brodine's just been a part of that for so long and people just don't really, you know, they know Dumba cause he's got a, you know, heavy shot and he gets points and they know Suter cause of the contract and he's still quite good. And then Spurgeon just cause he's also very good, but Brodine's kind of the fourth player out odd player out. And so um, I could see it where there is maybe some, some narrative that's spun up around Brodine. And if he is like one of the, you know, only available top pairing type defensemen and he goes to UFA instead of just re-signing with whichever team he's on, um, that could drum up some support and and potentially push his contract higher. But yeah, I agree with you. It is, it is kind of crazy that just because a player is kind of stuck on second pair behind, you know, a long, you know, longer term, more veteran defenseman, you know, like Suter, like that's going to, you know, they're going to, they're not going to get as many opportunities. And that's, that's kind of how contracts are, are given out. I guess one of the questions, I, I don't know how to word this correctly, even though I've been thinking about it for the past like two, three minutes. Um, a, a player like Brodeen does his job very well. He doesn't score points, but he plays excellent defense, and he is a defenseman. But yet, because he doesn't score points, he gets penalized in his salary in the future. Do you find that to be like somehow points, despite the metrics and despite what they do on the ice, can go against a player's salary or contract? Yeah, Um I, I think if I understand your question right, it's, I think it is, 
I guess I don't really. That's just kind of what we've always seen. You know, I think that there's there's like there's is there the is that changing at all? Because like a player like Tony D'Angelo, well, who like right that that's the example, Ryan. That you took the example right out of my mouth. Like we shouldn't be living in a world where Tony D'Angelo is possibly making more than Jonas Brodeen oh, just yeah. because D'Angelo scores a whole lot of points, right? Yeah, no, I that's I completely agree with you. I think that I would as a team, I think you'd much rather have Brodeen than D'Angelo just based on you know what you know, what we are, what we have at our, our disposal to evaluate players, but that's just like not what has ever happened. Like teams just don't pay. They don't pay for players like Brodeen um, in the way that they would pay for somebody like, you know, uh, like D'Angelo or some, or just somebody who's got a lot of points. That's just kind of how it works. You know, like Carlson, John Carlson is the, is the player that gets paid, not Jonas Brodeen, even though he, you know, Brodeen probably adds uh, in certain situations as much value just differently. And I think it also depends on where, what teams, um, I just historically the there aren't a lot of teams that have the ability to have a guy like Brodeen who just plays second pair instead of first pair minutes because they just have the defenseman for that. So I think it's just a unique situation. And um, but also like teams are going to like if that's what the market pays, they, they're not going to overpay somebody like Brodeen if historically no one's ever like like him has ever gotten paid. You know, that's just how the money works. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to, right. you know, state the obvious but if a team doesn't need to pay Brodeen as much as he probably is worth then they're not going to you know um, unless there's some bidding war I just don't I think he's probably going to get just a little bit deflated in, in overall contract just because he doesn't have points and he maybe is more second second pair minutes I'm just curious yeah, when I mean, like this, that look, changes you know because baseball had that I, sort of like with the Cy Young for many years it's like wow the, well this guy won you know 26 games this year but his you know all of his stats are total crap um, and then gets paid yeah because of that i i i honestly to tell you the truth it's not going to change until um i think teams buy in or, or start having a more robust way of evaluating defense that isn't um and also i think part of this also is what is allowed in arbitration and and what's kind of li- like laid out in the cba um so it's like the you know teams can't they i think they get like x you know plus minus and stuff like you know their the, their ability currently to argue for value especially from agents when because a lot of that's based on what is defined in, and eligible in arbitration when they when they make arguments um you know they, they can't use some of the stuff that i think that we you would kind of hope to evaluate defensemen so um or defense i guess in general so um i think until teams start kind of taking defense defensive value in the ways that we maybe would prefer to look at that seriously i don't think that we're going to really see a change there for a while anyway can, can i pitch a stat to you real quick like maybe this is something that you sure. guys should you guys should look into something we talk about on this podcast very often do you have a like general manager intelligence scale because i would oh. love I would love to to see something like that, like rating a general manager's like decision making, intelligence, and stuff like that. <laughs> because we talk about like when there's more quote unquote dumb le- general managers in the league, it's easier for teams who have these smart, brilliant guys to poach these players that these guys, the the quote unquote dumb GMs, don't value. Yeah, I uh, um I we don't I and we also like that's kind of in the same vein of of looking at coaches in in a certain way but i mean just because they have a lot of control i think one of the ways you could do i think peter flynn um from winging it in motown i think is what he writes for but he's uh he's got a podcast that uh the for sure podcast i think but um he presented it at uh ritzak i think uh was it man my time's all screwed up because of quarantine it was either last year or two years ago it could have been seven years ago man it could have been yeah i know it was you know in these these conferences i think well first of all I, i very much miss these the hockey conferences but uh he looked at it and i think this is a pretty good way to look at it is just 
value added in terms of like um, trades and and uh, like just looking at from a just a pure war standpoint is like how much um, value and I I actually can't quite remember exactly what it ended up looking like but that's one way I think that you can gauge um, you know like how well a GM is doing is just is what are their acquisitions look like from more of like an overall kind of all encompassing player evaluation tool like maybe something like war or wrap them or something like that um, that's one way we haven't looked into it too much because uh, I, I think that it's, um, well, first of all, getting general manager, it's not hard, but it's not, we don't have it set up in our pipeline. So maybe something to look in, I, I look at, I think in the future, we haven't done a lot with that though. I was half serious, but I would read the shit out of that stat. While we're on that topic, that, that transition transitions us pretty nicely. I'm sure by mistake from, Oh, Ryan Mead over there, but, uh, <laughs> As a wild Definitely fan, by mistake. <laughs> as a wild fan, can you give us a sense of your confidence level in Bill Guerin? Because Ryan and I will sit here on this podcast for the next God knows how many weeks until the offseason starts talking about how Bill Guerin feels like one of those GMs that you can take advantage of. So that's that's your opinion of him. That, that he feels like the guy you can take advantage of. Uh, yeah, I mean if we're being completely honest, I don't actually think that he's really done a whole lot that we can really get a good gauge on exactly where he's coming from. And to be, I think actually think that that for me, that makes me a little bit more confident uh, in terms because, and this is maybe unfounded really, but I think with the wild, with a team like the wild, if you're a new GVM who came in a year ago after the whole debacle um, with uh, Paul Fenton and just some of the trades and, you know, that whole thing that everybody's aware of now, um, I honestly think the best approach, which is what I, I think I maybe said this, or at least uh, was thinking this when Luke and I were talking about it. If you're Bill Guerin, you just wait a year, just wait and see what the team is. You know, they have a lot of young players who are at that point or another, or, you know, in, in the beginning of this last year. So about a year ago, you know, they had uh, your Eriksson-Eck, Luke Cunning, Jordan Greenway, Ryan Donato, um, you know, Carson Soucy, Belpedio, a few other, you have seven or eight players that are getting into their mid kind of starting to get to 23, 24, somewhere around there. Um, and you don't know what you really have in them, especially with Fiala too, who had a really bad year after he was traded to the wild. He just did not look very good and he didn't put up a lot of points. So one thing that gives me some confidence is that Garen did wait a while. Like he just gave the, all of the team a year to just see what he had. And I think that is a, first of all, a good step for many general manager coming in after basically, I think we can kind of, treat Fenton and then Fletcher as just kind of one regime where it was kind of, I don't think Fenton really did a whole lot. And he actually did kind of luck into a, or, or maybe, I don't know, maybe it wasn't luck, but the Fiala trade has ended up looking really good for the wild. But um, I think Garen is somebody who uh, from all things I can gather is he does seem to be um, like thinking about the team in a way that I, that doesn't make me, um, how should I put this? Uh, it, it doesn't, I guess it, I'm, I guess if I, as a, as a wild fan, which I'm not as much anymore, but if I were if I'm thinking about it from a wild fan, I'm not as scared as maybe I would have been with Fenton, obviously, which is to say that, you know, Fenton's kind of like the lowest basically level in terms of like what should scare a, 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 a or I guess highest level and what should scare fans. But um, I, I don't really have a good gauge, but I'm, I'm somewhat impressed that Garen didn't make any big changes to the team in a year just to give them a year to see what he had. And I think that he did that. And I think we will see some stuff this this offseason. But um, I guess, honestly, I don't really have a good answer because I don't think he's really done enough for us to really gauge if he's that kind of jammer. I mean, the best the best thing that could have happened to Bill Garen is it sounds like Peter Shirelli is the leader in the clubhouse for the P Panthers job. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter what Garen will do. 
We know yeah. we know where the weak link is and where we can take advantage. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think from some reports out of Pittsburgh is that he was pretty good there. Um, I think he also the thing I think the thing a lot of people don't realize with the Wild is that they are whoever is going to be in charge of the Wild and and whoever is in that organization. Leopold, the owner, is he's not a, he's not at least unless he changes and this is would be very off from what he's done the entirety of kind of being the majority owner of the team is he's not in a position that he's ever going to allow a GM to properly tank or rebuild or completely tear down. Um, the wild have always functioned in a, in a situation where they're looking to get to the playoffs. Um, just from all, from all indications is that that's how they're set up to have basically the wild, you know, they sell out every game for the most part. And they've kind of for years been that team that gets the playoff or, or the second round or maybe once or twice, but that's kind of what seems to be Leopold's whole approach. And to be honest, like Fletcher did a pretty good job, but I think any, any direction that um, the owner is giving the GM is just going to basically say, look, we're not going to really allow you to properly um, to fully tank or, or tear down or fire sale, that kind of stuff. So um I think Garen's in an interesting position because I don't think that ownership is going to allow him to do a proper rebuild. Um, but the Wild also are in a position where I think they don't necessarily need to, especially with Kaprizov coming in um, and Fiala being young. And and they kind of have some pieces, like we've already talked about, with Bernie or Dumba to maybe make some moves, um, especially with the state of the Western Conference being fairly weak overall. I, I don't think it's like unreasonable to think they could maybe still have some success with their current team and a few trades. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. I know that, Greg, you wanted to talk a little bit about um, developing players from the KHL. Why don't you go ahead and do that one? Well, it's it's not even – I don't want to talk about how you think Kaprizov will do with the Wild or any of this stuff. It's just you, you guys have followed a team that has been longing for one of their top prospects who has been playing in Russia to come over four years, and he's finally coming over this year. I just want – I just want to know what that kind of patience is like because <laughs> it doesn't seem like the Ranger fan base that now there are is a large portion of the Ranger fan base that is 110% being very patient with Kravtsov and they don't see a problem with him going back to the KHL. But you are speaking from experience of having drafted a Russian product and watching him cook in Russia for years. What is that like? How did you survive? Can you provide any tips? <laughs> well, first of all, yes, it's been, um, it's been a long, it feel honestly at this point, it, it feels like it's been seven years, but it, it's, it's been a very long wait for Kaprizov. And uh, I think that to an extent it wasn't quite as difficult because I, I think with the KHL, it's just like you cut, there's not, it doesn't once something's done like with the KHL, it seems like that's kind of what's going to happen. And from Kaprizov signing, I think was his three-year contract with the KHL that um, I, I think that's when that happened. It was like, okay, well, he's just going to be in the KHL for several years. And like, it's pretty unlikely he's coming over. So that was kind of helpful. I think also is that the, um, that it was kind of one of those things where it was, I'm just kind of used to that, to be honest, as well as it like a little bit as a twins fan. Cause we waited forever. I felt like waiting forever for Buxton and Sano. And I still feel like I'm waiting for Buxton, um, you know, to kind of come into his own is just kind of following both of those from baseball side as like really young prospects who were dra- who were drafted first or second, first of all. Um, and Kaprizov kind of always felt like that. So I feel like I personally had a little bit of experience with that, but it's been really tough, especially when you see all the Twitter highlights of him and the KHL scoring just crazy goals and kind of thinking about what the team could have been. Um, but it also like is kind of tempered by the fact that like, I mean, do you really want 
Kaprizov on the team when Fenton is kind of taking a knife to it and making just some really questionable decisions. So it was almost like he was kind of, I felt like he was sheltered in a way from a lot of the stuff that went on uh, with the wild for the last year. And it's maybe a better situation now. So ultimately it just kind of feels like a, a, a payoff that, we just had we waited forever. I don't, I don't really have any good advice for Rangers fans. You're just gonna have to wait. Yeah, that's gonna <laughs> suck for us. Um, are, are you are you telling me a player you drafted in the year of our Lord 2015 cannot be called a bust because he hasn't played a single NHL minute yet in his career? Uh I think so. I think yeah, that seems to be what I'm saying. But you know, again. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I suck with prospects. Like I can't tell you the number of times I've been wrong about prospects because I don't do, I don't work with prospect data or ever look at them. So they're kind of just like prospects for me is like, I feel like a normal, like, you know, HF boards fan when I'm dealing with prospects, that kind of is where I come at it from. So I kind of just wait. I think the thing with Kaprizov um, is he's, you know, he's kind of old for being a pro. like 23 is not, you know, you're kind of, he, he's going to need to come over if, if, and, you know, granted you could kind of, I think Panarin is what a lot of people look at. And I think that that's seems, well, I don't know. We'll see. Like maybe he is Panarin. I, I doubt it. I don't, I think that that's kind of more a unicorn situation than I think what Caprizza will probably be is a pretty good offensive winger who has some issues defensively. And the while they're a perfect team, I think to bring over somebody to maybe help him shore up some defensive issues, but that's, I think what base level should be for Caprizza overall. I uh, know it sounds like he's a bust to me. 23 years old, he's never scored an NHL point. Pretty garbage. I hear, I hear your, I hear you're capped out once you hit 21. <laughs> I mean, no, I think, dude, Kako's already done. He's only 19. I, he's cooked. Yeah, he's yeah, he's passed. He had one year to show it, and he didn't. He he struggled, and now he's just. You might as well trade him. You know, minus minus 4.7 or something on your charts or some unreasonable yeah. number. Hey, had a good playoffs. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I will say it's very unlikely. He's on the flip side. It's very unlikely he's going to have a year that's as bad as he did this last year. So. Yes. Hey, no, Kako, you guys don't understand. Kako was seeing the big picture while we were seeing everything. We, we couldn't see the forest through the trees. Right. Kako, knows, Kako knew that if he sucked, he'd be able to play with Alexi Lafreniere. Yes, he yeah. knew about he, the pandemic. He understood the plan. He knew everything. Yeah, well, that and it seems also like he needed to find, you know, he needed to hit the rock bottom to figure out where it was so he could just, you know, rise from that. You know what I mean? Rise from the ashes, baby. That's what gods do. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. I guess when, uh, how sad were you when the number overall pick went to us? That's my last question. Um, I wasn't too sad, to be honest, because I was just happy it didn't go to like, you know, the Blackhawks or the, or the Penguins, Penguins or the Oilers or the Leafs or something. Yeah. Um, I, that it was just, I, I, I think that I was really rooting for one of, you know, Minnesota, Winnipeg, Nashville. Um, just cause I think both of the, like, I think there were a lot of teams, there were several teams, handful of teams that just like the wild haven't had a first overall ever. And they've, you know, I, I did a little thread looking at kind of top picks. I think Nashville is one of the most deserving teams actually of it. And Winnipeg also could, could do well with it, but I don't know. I like Rangers fans. And I think the Rangers are like, they're a team that haven't been particularly great for a while. And I think it make it like in the, in the sense of like what you're trying to do with the draft and the lottery like that, I think it makes sense to try and give it to a team that could use it. Um, or that kind of more deserves it than a team like the Penguins or the Blackhawks or, um, you know, like the Oilers. Like, I, if it went to the Oilers again, I was going to just – Yeah, it was, it was just, over. Yeah, it was not going to be a fun a fun time if they had the first overall pick again. So, that does make me a little happy. It'll be fun. Also, like, I like you guys. I like Rangers fans. <laughs> Thank and it'll you. Be fun to kind of see all the content that comes out of having, you know, that player on the team. Oh, it's already like, starting. He can't carry a team. He's not a center. <laughs> he, he's not generational like McDavid. Okay, yeah. Yeah. For, for, 
for someone who claims to like Ranger fans a lot, Josh, we continue to hear a lot of shit about Matt Zuccarello coming out of Minnesota. <laughs> what the? What are you doing to our adult son? What the fuck? I, I felt really nice. Bad. I felt really bad for Rangers fans, probably who are, like I'm still some. There's still some people who tune in in the wild just to watch him. Um, who are out, you know, out east. Uh, to be honest, he I thought he had a pro okay season, but the thing was they strapped him to Alex Galchenyuk and Jordan Greenway. Jordan Greenway is a fine player, but Galchenyuk is really a player that just was on the team out of just that was kind of necessity and it was a you know follow up from um, just the old regime and and it's but it's like you you put Zuccarello with Galchenyuk in the play like that's just not a good way to you're not giving him a, a chance to really succeed i'm pretty sure those were the lines for most of the playoffs for them and but i, I also he needs think, a crafty like, center he really does yeah yeah exactly and i i just don't like i so that that i think is the the first number one thing is that zuccarello just i don't think was in the playoffs anyway he was not particularly given the best chance by basically being strapped to um galchenyuk as his center and that was how they were deployed and you're just not like that's how you kind of tank a winger is you put them with a really bad center or at least a center that is just not you know not do any doing anything to help like Galchenyuk needs uh he like at this point Zuccarello is is he's getting older um he's not kind of what he used to be he's still solid and he still can add some stuff if you put him with a pretty good center but they, they're kind of the while they're kind of like jammed in in wing and so it's it's just it'll be interesting to see what what he does next season but yeah it's I don't know. The, the, the organization didn't do a lot for him, but also he's getting older. So it's a combination of both of those. Josh, can't thank you enough for coming on. Greg, any final questions for our good friend? Uh, no. Good. I, I, sorry, I just I got really sad because uh, the Mets? a story that you haven't heard yet on this podcast, Josh. I drove an hour and 40 minutes to go place sports bets this weekend <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I'm just I'm just so bored and tired of quarantine. <laughs> and one of the, the I, I've gone 0 for 8 on these bets, and I had the ninth bet that was hanging out there, and I see now that the Avalanche are losing 2 nothing. Oh, so no. We, that, that round trip of three-plus hours in the car <laughs> so is going to net me $0. It's safe. Oh, man. Negative, actually. Um, Josh, why don't, you, why don't you point what you do? Avalanche stars. Uh, I, that's a series I just did not expect it to be in Dallas. Entertaining? I, what? Did, did you not expect it to be entertaining? Um, I don't know. I don't know what I expected. I think that when you have a playoff model like we do, that is, and then you just like, you set your expectations and then things go differently. It's, that's always warped my, uh, in my, uh, impressions of teams, I think to maybe more extent than it should, but I'm sorry. I think I talked over a question that you had there. Oh, I was just saying, I'll, I'll plug what you do. Dude, let everyone know oh. what's going on. Yeah. Well, th- well, first of all, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been fun as always. Um, so yeah, I'm Josh, uh, one half of the Evolving Wild Twitter account. Uh, we, my brother and I, Luke. Oh, sorry. It's all good. Knocked, I knocked my computer. Uh, when uh, Luke and I, we run and maintain a website called EvolvingHockey.com. You can follow that on Twitter. Um, maybe you know, consider popping over there, just seeing what you think. You know, what you like. Maybe go to Cap Friendly and follow the link to get to it if you want to see kind of how that's set up too. Um, yeah, we're we're still. That's kind of what we do. We we work on our website and we uh, you know tweet out some takes here and there and try to have fun on Twitter. And um, yeah, that's what you, that's what we're up to now. Working on some cool stuff for the website. So hopefully we can uh, get some more stuff out there. Please let me know when you come up with the intellectual level GM scale. And if everyone likes what they do, uh, they also have an awesome Patreon where you can get like exclusive stats and stuff like that. So go check that out. Josh, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me again. Pleasure. Hey, we're back. Great interview with our good friend, Josh. Learned a lot about 
not only how we're going to steal Brodeen, but also how the Evolving Wild stats actually work. And hopefully he takes our idea of stats. And then, Greg, uh, before we get to what you want to talk about, which I can only assume is the New York Metropolitans, we are uh, leaving Hockey Town. So if you were here for hockey, it is gone. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Shirts Break, where Greg covers Rangers and stuff, other stuff like Mets and Horse Racing, and I cover uh, stuff of Rangers and all Ryan Mead. Follow us there. All right, Greg, take it away. I just... I just want to point out, mm-hmm. okay, I, w- I want the world to know yes. how much I thought of them today, where I made you record the last part of the podcast before the first part of the podcast, because I, I know how this would have went. Thank you for your I, sacrifice. If we just fired up. Thank you. And you said, hey, blah, 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 blah. I'm Ryan, Greg, say hello. And I would have just immediately spun in the Mets world. Mm-hmm. So I did everybody a favor by saying, let's just do the second part first. Okay, let's get out of the way. Here we are. Get out of the way. Can we just talk about how stupid the New York Mets are, Ryan? Very stupid, and hopefully that will change because you're bearing the lead that they are going to get bought by someone who's worth $14 billion. Just, I... Billion. 3.59 p.m. Coming right along. The Mets are already losing to the Marlins. It doesn't look like they're going to come back and win. Everything seems to be just going as you would expect to go for the Mets on a Monday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Uh it doesn't look like the Mets are going to make a single trade with the trade deadline one minute away. As they shouldn't, by the way. Yes. Right, as they shouldn't. The only person the Mets were even connected to all day long was Christian Vasquez. It sounded like the Red Sox were asking for the moon for him. So the Mets very wisely said, you know what, screw it, we're not going to do it. So at 3.59 p.m., I was probably as satisfied as I possibly could have been with Brody Van Wagenen and the New York Mets. By the way, this is the same Brody Van Wagenen that not even a week ago shit all over the Wilpons and Rob Manfred and had the highest Q rating he's ever had as New York Mets general manager. Pretty legendary all stuff, by the way, in case you're wondering. Incredible. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> Just couldn't have, couldn't have been seen more positively in the eyes of Mets fans than in that moment. And then we get to about 4.05, and we start hearing that the Mets traded for a catcher. All right. If it was Vasquez, we probably would have heard something. That's fine. It turns out it's Robinson Chirinos, mm-hmm. Texas, right? Or was for, yeah. For now, Ryan, teams? you you're you're an you're an advanced number guy, but this isn't even that advanced of a number. Everyone everyone's familiar with WRC plus and OPS plus at this point. Some people aren't. Everybody but, knows. Who but it is. if you follow baseball, yes, you were you were yes. familiar with it. So would you would you you want to take a stab at what uh, I saw Chirinos? What, I saw what is yeah. WRC Neg- is. negative two. Yes, and I just I just want to point it, put out there for everyone that average Major League Baseball average for all these stats like is one hundred. Yeah, and then no, it's one hundred. <laughs> well, okay, yes, you're right. No, league average is one hundred. Anything below one hundred, you are considered to be a percentage point worse than what is considered average. That's correct. One hundred is the definition of average. Minus two. He's negative two. But what about his framing he's, ability? I don't care. He's <laughs> negative two. Okay. Uh, and the, the the one that really annoyed me, like the Todd Frazier shit, that's just hilarious. I don't understand why they think they need Todd Frazier. I don't know how he's going to get at bats. I honestly thought it was a fake account. I didn't think it was the real Ken Rosenthal when I saw the tweet. Feels like a clubhouse was like, to me. Like a bringing a veteran kind of deal. Well, I, apparently, because everyone, Pete Alonzo had really nice things to say about Todd Frazier. I mean, he was a Met for the last two years. I guess everyone in the clubhouse knows. Ty- I just don't get where he's playing. Like, he's not getting at-bats before J.D. Davis. He's, he's probably not, not dude. Before... He's a bench bat. That's it. 
Yeah, so like whatever. The Mets probably didn't give anything up for those guys. The one I'm actually annoyed about is is the Miguel Castro trade. I just don't understand. I don't understand it from a from a perspective of this is the trade that's actually supposed to be making the Mets better. They traded Kevin Smith, who most people probably don't know about. Mm-hmm. He's the Met. He's he's like a fringe top ten prospect for the Mets. Yeah, he was awarded their minor league pitcher of the year last year for his work from Columbia, Port St. Lucie, and Binghamton. He was a 2017 draft pick. I think he's 23, 24 years old. Left-handed starting pitcher, has versatility, already on the 40-man roster. You could make a better argument that he should have been getting starts for the Mets over the likes of Corey Oswalt and Walker Lockett. He's already there. I don't understand why the Mets weren't using him. So they pretty much but gave they him up for nothing. That. They, well, it's not that they gave him up for nothing. It's just... What the fuck am I? What am I supposed to like about Miguel Castro? What? He's not good. He's 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 a sinker ball pitcher, Ryan, who has a career ground ball percentage below fifty percent. But he was also in Crazy Beautiful and in Holes. Did you ever think about that? I didn't think about that. I do like <laughs> Holes. I just it doesn't make sense. The Mets, the Mets bullpen sucks. I understand the Mets wanting to try and upgrade their bullpen. I don't know why they're trying to do it this year. The Mets suck. They're five games under 500, and they're two games out of a playoff spot. Like, even if they make the playoffs, congratulations, you've won the right to lose to the Dodgers. Like, that's all it's going to do. I, 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 I don't get it. Castro, the nicest thing I can say about Miguel Castro is he's average. He's a replacement-level reliever. The Mets let one go two years ago by the name of Hanzo Robles, and he turned out to be something decent. I... You don't trade smart front offices. I'm looking. I literally, I pulled up the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, I have some things I to say about them if you'd like, but yes. Well, I just, smart front offices don't trade for, for, for relievers. No, they develop. Who? Or they pick them up off the scrap heap. Yeah, like Diego Castillo. I think you and I both have an affinity for Diego Castillo. Uh, he's lower on my Tampa Bay Rays list, especially right now with the, the Rays bullpen is literally decimated, but they're still th- somehow have guys that throw gas for no reason. But yeah. Cast- who in the the Rays have never traded for a reliever in their history? No, and they always they trade signed, relievers. They tra- like they yeah, trade and they sign the guys like Chaz Rowe. Mm-hmm. They sign guys like Chaz Rowe who Tommy has John, one yeah. good pitch, and the Rays just tell him like, "Hey, throw that one good pitch. If you throw anything else, we're gonna cut you." Like that's that's what the Rays do. Dude, but right now, I, you know, I know we're talking baseball right now. Castillo is like the only arm in that's legit in the Rays bullpen, despite them having the best like record in the American League. Like that whole Peter, everyone Peter, is the, dead. Pete Fairbanks has been fine. What's Pete, wrong with Pete Fairbanks? Ryan Thompson's okay too, but like they're they're all their guys that you know, like that have become those names. Like Ryan Yarbrough is an opener, you know, like Nick Anderson, like Chaz Rowe, Yanni Chirinos, Jose Alvarado, like all those guys are just hurt now. So it's they, I would have liked them. You know, I, I'm going against the grain here. It would have been nice to see if they went out and got a reliever at the deadline because they have the best record in the AL and they could compete this year, and they didn't. They they made zero moves. So. Yeah, but the Ra- the Rays are also the team that would trade someone like Emilio Pagan and get something back that they think is more useful. Oh, and they they do, and usually it usually happens in their favor. They very rarely lose trades. Um, I think you can make a case that they lost the Tommy Pham trade. Now that uh, uh, what's well, Pham's hurt too, though. Right, but Cronenworth is has uh, Cronenworth. What's his name? Fucking. He's been very. He's been very. He's good. insane. I was wondering. I was wondering where the Padres got him from. Yeah, it was the race. It was in that trade. So, yes. Uh, I just I for the life of me I don't know this is the, the the point about the Mets I was trying to make is their bullpen sucks yes fucking terrible it is it's awful they took their best reliever and made him a starting pitcher 
who two starts in has yet to be able to throw more than 60 pitches in an outing. And while Seth Lugo has been really good in those two starts, he's gone six and two thirds. I think he's given up one run. He may have only given up one hit too. Like that's great and good, but we're talking about a team that couldn't hold a fucking five run lead with two outs against the Yankees yesterday. Yep. Like I don't need the Mets to have another starting pitcher. The Mets need bullpen and, if the Mets rotate, the Mets rotation is so decimated that they're trying to use Gazelman and Lugo as starters, both of which are better relievers than Miguel Castro is. I would have much rather the Mets keep those guys in the bullpen and just give starts to Kevin Smith. I, I like that's the thing I don't understand. You're giving starts to David Peterson. Peterson and Kevin Smith aren't that different as prospects. So if you're fine with giving one, I for the life of me, the Mets made their bullpen worse by trying to improve their starting rotation. And now that their starting rotation continues to be decimated, they made their starting rotation depth worse to not improve their bullpen. I, it, smart teams don't trade for relievers. It, it's like baseball 101. I can't think of the, the last time the Mets won a, a reliever trade is when they traded for Addison Reed. And the only reason they got Addison Reed is because the Diamondbacks wanted nothing to do with them. Yeah, and Addison Reed turned out to be pretty good for you. But that's great. That's really he. He was great it. for two. He was great for two and a half years, and then the Mets wisely moved on from him. Don't trade for relief. Addison Reed was terrible for the Red Sox the second he left the Mets. I hope and that then the Twins Castro signed him to a three-year deal, and they cut him. Great for you guys. I hope he just is lights out for the next year and a half. Miguel Castro. <laughs> yeah, I hope they have he, him for, he. They have his rights for like two plus years after this. He's not a free agent until twenty twenty-three. Okay. Well, they just, been... look. I'll be happy to eat my words, and maybe Kevin Smith is not the guy I should be upset about. Right? It. He's a guy most Mets fans probably have never heard of. He's a guy most prospect people probably have never heard Dude, of. You know, like, he's a low key prospect. You know, guy. Him a big prospect guy. He's not in the top five hundred. Like he just isn't. He's not. He's not. But he. It, it's not even that he's a sexy prospect. It's just that the answer to the Mets, the, the, the my anger with this trade is not. So, I think it's less about Kevin Smith and more about just how the Mets are trying to create this answer. The answer isn't adding a reliever so Seth Lugo can be in the rotation. It's understanding that if you're going to add a pitcher, go get a starter and put Seth Lugo in the position where he could be most valuable. That's the bullpen because your bullpen is trash with the exception of Seth Lugo. It it boggles the mind that the Mets think they're making – none of these three trades actually make the Mets better, which begs the question of why you make the trade in the first place. You don't. Robinson Chirinos doesn't make the Mets better. I don't see how he's any better than whatever the Mets backup catching was doing. Todd Frazier doesn't make the Mets better. He's not going to get enough at-bats to be a difference. And Miguel Castro isn't an improvement over what the New York Mets have in the bullpen. Miguel Castro is basically just Franklin Kilome, except you had to trade a prospect to get him. That's pretty I, much it. I just, I don't, it, it's like the, I am probably too angry about losing Kevin Smith. I probably shouldn't be this angry no, about the I, Mets trading. I, I don't think guy. so either, dude. The team I follow is in first place in the AL, made zero moves to go forward. Zero. But the Rays also understand it's just like this season's a big whatever the fuck happens, happens. Right. Like, unless you're the Padres who pushed every fucking chip in and just did. Which is. Insane work. To but me, to is fair, the so Padres... stupid because there's 24 goddamn teams that make the playoffs this year. They're, that means your chances of getting knocked out are going to be higher than ever. Right. I guess the if you want to give if you want to squint and give the Padres the benefit of the doubt, Clevenger 
multiple years of control. I Look, man, you're going to have to tell me what the fuck is up with Austin Nola, that everyone in baseball was hot on his trot. Uh, I think it's because it's multiple multiple positions, and he like the stats are pretty good for him, especially in the background. He's, he's hitting he's hitting well this year. That's for sure. Can't it's argue a, that. A quote unquote late bloomer. Uh, look, uh, I'm not yeah, a well, big Tramel guy. I know, I know. He's a, he's one year younger than us. I'm not a big Tramel guy, and I know Vinny, our our good friend, has always been a big Tramel guy. But I I, I know that you were kind of like, how did he get traded? I didn't see it as like a. I think his stock has sort of fallen in the prospect world. Maybe now was could they have gotten more? Yes, was the deal out there? Probably not. And they, clearly they were going all in, right? So are you as would you have rather had you would have rather had um, Gabriel Arias? I'm guessing. Yes, the much, big piece. Yes, I would have much rather. Well, had as someone him. as someone that owns him in slump, I'm happy to hear that from you. I would have much uh, rather, but uh, you know that's the way I, I look at it, and that that's just a higher level upside. I didn't like trading Hudson Potts. Um, I think that's a guy that has really. Nice potential and a, like uh, they have a lot of control. On the him. only the only way I could have justified the way I did justify the Padres trading Hudson Potts is only the San Diego Padres could trade Hudson Potts for Mitch Moreland because while Hudson Potts would be like a number five number six prospect for just about any other team, he's like a number eleven for the Padres. I always like, that's the- respect teams when they try to win, man. Like these, they didn't give up anything of what I would call substantial. They still have their they top. Kept McKen- they kept Mackenzie Gore. They kept Mackenzie Gore and they kept uh, CJ Abrams. They kept Luis Campesino. Like they kept the guys that are really their core four of, of top prospects. They didn't give up anything of note in my estimation. Could those guys work out to be everyday players? Yeah. Could they, could one of them pop? Of course, that's always a chance, but they're going for it this year. They feel like they can win and they want to, this is more of a culture thing for them. They've just been a joke for so long. If they can, take some momentum they have to do it i don't blame them whatsoever i don't i yeah i did and you can justify just about every one of those again the padres trades with the exception of moreland and rosenthal they all have service time behind this so it's like clevenger will be good for this year but also they need clevenger for next year too which is the whole point of that trade right uh, and i thought that was a good deal yeah, for clevenger just, in my opinion like i was like that's but a again like deal. like look at it the padres didn't give up shit for trevor trevor rosenthal no. Like smart teams don't trade anything for relievers. Nobody does it. So I just, and this isn't even a point about Edwin Diaz because I think Edwin Diaz, when the Mets traded for him, that was a unicorn situation. That's a guy that most teams shouldn't trade unless they're getting back Jared Kalenic. Then again, the Mets could have made that trade without including Kalenic. All they had to do is not be cheap bastards. But this is the point of the podcast where I say Steve Cohen is coming. Yes. Life should be good. All I have to do is get through this season. The Mets didn't trade for Christian Vasquez, which means JT Realmuto is still happening, baby. Like, all I have to do is goose fraba this, get through this, yeah, at- understand that they're stupid. Greg, I'm here all the, the time doesn't have to with last. you. You, There are so many things you should be angry at the Mets about. The, Kevin Smith, like, I'm okay, dude. You're going to be all right. Like that's it's it's fine. Like it's it's more the, it's more the, the philosophy that it's more the philosophy than the play. But you know that's going to change with new ownership. Like I know. I, you think, I hope you think Brody's staying. You think he's staying? I don't. I I honestly, that's a good question. I really don't. know. I don't think you so at all. You would think that you would think Steve Cohen would want to bring in his own people. He's going to want to bring in everybody of his own people. Absolutely. Again, let me say this one more time. $14 billion. He's not going to be like, yeah, I'll take the people you guys had in. That was a fucking had, cursed. I did, I did have a lot of fun reading the shit that Steve Cohen has spent hundreds of millions of dollars on that no one cares about. Everyone knows about the statue, like the weird looking 
stick man statue that he apparently spent 140 million dollars on which by the way is more money than the new york mets have ever spent on any free agent in the fred wilpon era sure uh but the other one i found was the story floating around that he paid north of a hundred million dollars to the food network and guy fieri so guy fieri could take him on a divers driving and dives tour of connecticut are you fucking kidding me <laughs> no, he spent he spent nine figures to have his own personal diners drive in and Excuse, die. everyone at home i'm so sorry for my mechanical keyboard guy fieri <laughs> steve cohen it's a real it's a real it, look i read it so it must what? be real watch head fund billionaire steve cohen eat at eat chorizo on guy fieri's food network show this is fucking crazy listen yeah. if i had 14 billion dollars and I would pay Guy that, Fieri that, to do that, that's too. That's the shit you'd spend it on. You'd be like, fuck it. What's $100, what's $100 million to me? I get to be on. I get my own personal diners, drive-ins, and dines. That's it's probably it. his favorite show. He was like, fuck, you know what? I want to be on that show. I've got the money. Like, that's and it was, like he took. He brought the whole family with him. It's, it's insane. Here's this, another, uh, gonna, another yeah, title. I won't JT, read the whole thing. But Steve Cohen is planning a $20, million, $20 billion middle fi- dollar middle finger for his critics. Okay, okay, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. He, 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 I understand that Steve Cohen is probably going to turn out to be just a shitty human being. And he pro- you, People don't make $14 billion without being shitty human beings. Like, it's just a fact. Good people aren't that rich. Good people get rich. Don't get me wrong. But nobody gets that rich unless you're an ass. But you know what? I'm happy that Steve Cohen is going to be my ass. That's all I'm saying. I, again, and I don't talk much about the Rays on this podcast, but I wish they'd spend money. Do you see what they do with no money? It's unbelievable. They spend it's zero incredible. money. And it's incredible. Every single, they have depth out of their – Greg, out of their asshole at every position. Every fucking position. They have eight starting outfielders. They can't do anything. But they don't spend any money. It makes me so sick. I just one time. I mean, they, I guess they signed Charlie Morton, right, for two years, eighteen million dollars or whatever. Oh my God! Yeah, really, eighteen million full dollars. Yeah, they, well, they gave they gave Blake Snell five years, fifty million. Woo, woo. All right. You know what's you know what the shit that pisses me off is they're not going to give they're not going to have to give Snell a second contract because they're just oh they're going to let than they're going to trade him with two years left and they're going to get a haul and that's going to be it. Yep. They, Every single AKA time. The, the David, they're going to do the David Price. All absolutely. Again. And Wander Franco is going to be up. Best prospect in baseball next year. You best believe, like, three weeks in, they're going to be offering him contracts for 10 years. Hey, you want this they'll, $120 million three contract? Three weeks in, right. They'll probably they'll do what the White Sox do now. They don't promote people without an extension. It's uh, Yeah, they're going to do it right away. Like, hey, you want to play for us? $120 million right now, seven years. What do you think? Like, oh, oh we, I don't think they'll go. I don't think they'll, they'll drop nine figures. We're, talk, we're still talking about the race. Yeah, Wander's a different monster. We'll see. I think seven years, eighty-five million. I would take it right now. <laughs> I know you would. That's a steal. That's a steal. But that's like the the worth of the Rays organization. It's fucking bullshit. All right. Um, that's true. All I'm saying, just the the again. Final words. It's the theory that pisses me off the most. That that's really what it comes down. to. Fine. I understand you being pissed off at the theory, but Kevin Smith, dude, you're not gonna miss him. You're, the value I, you, you're, the value added you're missing out on is very little. I understand what the you you're missed the process. Like you wish you were a good organization, but that time is coming, as we discussed. We hope. We hope. Unless Steve Cohen has like really dumb friends. I, he just paid a hundred million dollars to be with Guy Fieri. He, how could he be dumb? I don't understand. I'm at, I would 
in a heartbeat, Guy Fieri, Mets general manager. Like, wouldn't even think twice about it. We take teams to Flavortown every fucking time we make a trade. It's just like, it's a, it's a shit show now, so why not just have Guy Fieri there? Why not? That's what I'm saying. He right. seems like a generally good dude, too. He, he is like a generally good dude. From what I, all, all reports. And our friend Bailey talks to him all the time, which is weird. But yes. Um, all right, man. Let's end the show. We'll be back next week. Uh, well, actually, we'll be back early, later this week. We're going to do uh, uh, Martin Jacques, a little bit BSBOT. So uh, come tune in on Thursday morning. We'll see you then. Bye. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 5.00% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC.